Psalm 86, if you have your Bible, open to Psalm 86. It is a prayer of David. Spurgeon says it is the prayer of David. This is like his pinnacle of prayer, if you will, and it is given to us to reveal to us things that David believes about God. So uh, I'm going to read the whole thing. I think it's great. Psalm 86, here we go. He says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Stop right there. I love when David approaches prayer, he doesn't approach it from a place of I am coming to you, he approaches it from a place of God, I need you to come to me. In other words, Lord, would you bend your knee and watch how he follows it up, answer me for I need your help. If you circle that and you were to look it up in other translations, it's a Hebrew word meaning financially broke. So David is saying this, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer, answer me, for I am desperate and broke, and I have nothing. If you remember, season we did on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to be poor in spirit, right? There is something about approaching God from a place of poverty and spirit that gives him somewhat of a vessel to fill. So David, right out of the gate in Psalm 86 verse one, says, Lord, I need you to come to me and I need everything that you have because I am a poor, broken vessel before you. And then in verse two, he says, protect me. Again, super interesting with David. He was known as the baddest warrior of his time. Saul has killed thousands. David has killed tens of thousands, right? David killed Goliath. David had mighty warriors that submitted to him, several hundred of them that would bend their knee to him and submit to him as the prominent warrior of the day. He was not Jake Paul, he was Mike Tyson, right? He was the real deal, right? He was the one who walked in the room and everyone was like, we better watch our words and we better not make him mad. He will take our head off, right? Yet, what is he doing in prayer? He's submitting it. He's submitting his power. He's submitting his strength. I think we have a mic hot somewhere. I can hear it. I don't think it's me. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Just roll with me. What does David say? Protect me, for I am devoted to you. So, we see mightiest of men, strongest of men, pinnacle of leadership, coming before the Lord and saying, would you come down to me? I'm poor in spirit, and I need you to protect me. Do we approach God that way in prayer? Do we come to him and say, Lord, I am an empty, broken vessel, and I just need you to bend your knee and turn your ear towards me in hopes that you may hear what I have to say? the humility that he approaches prayer, right? So, okay, I'm gonna read the rest. If we don't, we're never gonna finish it. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I'm calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive. Pause right there. 
that ready to forgive, if you circled that and you read Hebrew, you would see it is a, it is not just like ready, but it is this willingness to jump in and forgive you. In other words, David is saying, I come to you in prayer, bend your knee to me, I am humble, I need your protection, and Lord, if anything, would you please hear me when I cry to you, hear me when I come back to you, and he says, oh Lord, you are so ready to forgive. We sometimes think of the way we're willing to forgive and we attribute that to God, which is reluctantly. I don't know a lot of people that have been deeply hurt by someone and they're just itching to forgive them. Like, wow, I can't wait to give them grace. I can't wait to give them mercy. They broke my heart. They wrecked my future. They hurt me deeply. They betrayed my trust. And yet I can't wait to forgive them. Yet that's exactly what David is saying we encounter in prayer. We encounter a God who's ready to forgive. We encounter a God who is saying, I'm ready if you are. You're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. I am ready to forgive you. So he says, Listen close, so forgive me, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Verse six, listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. No pagan God is like you, O Lord. None can do what you can do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name for you are great and perform wonderful deeds, you alone are God. Pause right there. David is in pagan culture that is exalting and worshiping Asherah or Baal or any of these foreign Dagon or any of these foreign gods. And he's in this culture where they're all being exalted. And yet David is praying out and he is saying, nothing, no one or no fictitious God has the power of you. You are all powerful. You are all strength. You are almighty God, if you will. You alone are God. Verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever. For your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. Oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favor. Then those who hate me will be put to shame for you, O Lord, help and comfort me. Nobody in scripture has more prayers recorded than David. David is kind of the man of prayer when it comes to scripture. And this is the only prayer of David out of the hundreds that he has written throughout the Psalms. This is the only prayer where he uses the word to describe God Adonai seven times. So seven times in one prayer, David is saying, Adonai, Adonai, Adonai. 
Adonai was the name attributed to God that carried the most reverence and submission. It literally means Lord Master. So what David is saying is in this prayer, and you could hear it when we read it, I'm fully submitted to the Lord who is my master. When Spurgeon talks about Psalm 86, he says it's not a prayer of David, it is the prayer of David. And the purpose of this prayer is not David showing us how to pray. The purpose of this prayer is David showing us what he believes about God in prayer. Big difference. David is not saying, here's your model. Jesus said that, Matthew chapter 6. David is saying, here is what I know to be true about my God. When I enter into the space of prayer, this is what I know to be true. In other words, he is praying some things into his own spirit. He's praying some things into people around him. He is praying some things into his readers. He is praying while saying, this is what I believe about the God of prayer. You ever prayed some things into other people? You have kids? My son prays things into me all the time. We literally sit down the other day, and, and he's, uh, we pray every night before he goes to bed. And he, I said, son, pray. And he said, okay. He said, dear God, I said, Lord, I bring before you my sore legs. And Lord, you know how worn out I am, and you know how tired I am, and you know how that long walk with my dad wore me out. And he said, Lord, I just pray that you would give me an electric scooter. I want, he said, I want to go further, Lord, for you. <laughs> I am like literally sitting there like, what are you praying, right? He's not praying here. He's praying here, right? He's praying some things into me. He's trying to pray some things into my spirit so that by way of God or petitioning God, I will catch them, right? So I do the same thing. Oh, Lord, my God. I pray that my son would be the most obedient, helpful boy in this house. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you make him a servant spirit? Would he say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, Lord? Would he be obedient the first time, Lord? Would he do exactly what is asked of him, Lord? Would he go above and beyond to do more than that, Lord? Would you bless him with it in Jesus' name? And he's sitting there like, really? He's praying some things into some things, right? That's what Psalm 86 is. Catch this, because it's really important as you interpret this psalm and you add it to your prayer life. David is saying, I'm going to teach you what I believe about God through prayer. This is who I believe God is. This is what I believe God does. This is what I believe God provides. And this is what I believe I find in prayer. David is praying some things into us. And the first thing that he prays into us is this. God hears us. God hears us. Listen, to, think about this contextually. This is a nation of people who have endured hundreds of years of silence from their God because of their rebellion. And yet David is saying, we have a God who hears us. It was a big deal for God to hear them. Psalm 86, 1, he says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Later on, verses 6 through 7, he says, listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you 
will answer me. 1 John 5, 14 says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. The Hebrew people literally had a name that they attributed to God, El Shema, which means the God who hears me. In other words, David is saying when we go to prayer, we have a God who hears. You may not feel heard in here by your family, you may not hear, be, feel heard in here by your friends. You may feel like nobody hears you when you're calling out. You have a God who hears you. He is listening to you. The other day, I was in Walmart, and I was, I was buying uh, some stuff to change the oil in Anna's car. And as I walk into the aisle, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the little thing here to find out, or I couldn't remember which filter it was. And as I'm working, this guy behind me says, hey, man, what's up? what's up, man? How are you? Yeah, I had no clue who he was. Like, what's up? How are you? He walks over there and he's like, he's in there and he, he says something like, man, we're going we're to kick it later. And I was like, <laughs> and I, I literally, okay, maybe I do know him, right? Maybe he comes here. I was like, uh, yeah, no, man, I mean, that'd be fun, but I got to change my wife's oil today, right? Uh, you know, I'm that guy. And, he, and then the guy looks over at me and he, he's like this. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> and he said, "No, bro." He said, "I'm on the phone." The dude had one ear, one AirPod in. He literally had one AirPod in, and this side. And I'm sitting over here talking to him, and I think he's talking back to me. And I'm literally anybody else had that happen to them? Someone starts talking on these stinking Bluetooth headset, hidden AirPod in-ear deals. And I'm like, yeah, bro, okay, no, can't kick it today, right? And this guy is like, what is wrong with this dude? Who is, I had a whole conversation with a guy who wasn't listening to a thing I said. He didn't even care to talk to me. Listen, that is not the God we serve. You may have this idea that when you go into prayer, God doesn't really care. Not according to David. David is saying, when I enter into the space of your presence, you and you alone hear me. You hear my words. Unless. Now, how many of you know, I could have just stopped right there, let you feel real good. But preaching's not about feeling good, right? Preaching's not about feeling good, right? Yes, God hears you. Yes, God is listening to you. Unless. 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Proverbs 28, 9, God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Psalm 66, 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, listen to David, the Lord would not have listened. James 4, 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. As much as I didn't want to, I felt compelled that I had to share with you that if, if you think 
that you can live for yourself, do whatever you want, whatever way you want, act however you want, and then just have this miracle line to God when you need help. You need to know he's not listening. Harsh as it may, if, you're, if you are dangerously deceiving yourself, if you believe you can live this self-centered, self-glorified, self-indulged life, but oh darn it, hey God, can you help me here? And think that he's listening. The God who hears us is the God who sees our hearts submitted to him and willing to live for him. The God who doesn't hear us is the one who looks down and says, you don't want anything to do with me. You want what I can do for you. That's all you're looking for. To that end, we pray for mercy. It's the second thing that God, that David attributes to God through prayer. Right? So David says, you are the God who hears me, and you are merciful to me when I pray. Psalm 86.3, he cries out, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Psalm 86, 15 through 16, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Psalm 57, 1, he says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. David knew the space to find the mercy of God was in prayer. And David knew this well. Remember, grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. It's the difference in grace and mercy. Grace is, by my grace, I am going to give you what you do not deserve. Mercy is, by my mercy, I'm going to hold back what you do deserve, what you should get. Remember the David of Psalm 51. Remember the David of 1 Samuel chapter 11. Remember the David who took Uriah's wife, slept with her, got her pregnant, killed Uriah, and, and wound this web of sin until Nathan went to him and he said, David, do you not realize you are this man? You are the liar, the cheater, the adulterer, the one who has totally ruined the life of other people for your own pleasure. Do you not realize you are this man? And Psalm 51, David falls before the Lord and he cries out for mercy. In Psalm 86, David comes before God and he says, God, I know you to be a merciful God, which means you will not give me what I deserve if I just beg you for your mercy. Prayer is the place of mercy with God. Prayer is the place where we come before God and we petition him for mercy. We ask him not to give us what we deserve. Anybody else in here have a, dad, give me another chance, kid? Anybody? Anybody? Man, Kanan's having a rough Sunday. Kanan's having a rough Sunday. He's, his new thing is, Dad, give me a second chance. Dad, give me one more chance. Dad, just one more chance. Dad, and like, we'll push the limit. I mean, to 
right past the limit. You're laughing. You got another chance, kid, don't you? Yeah, one more chance. One more chance. Just one more. One more. Ch- and so I am pretty stubborn. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, you know, by the book, got pretty good discipline. And I'm like, nope, your chance was done. I already warned you once. You did what I told you not to do. Your chance is over with. Well, I read this parenting book by a theologian. Bad idea, right? So I read this parenting book by Paul Tripp and He talks about the number one goal we should have with our children, the number one thing we should cultivate, the number one thing we should bring to fruition is confession and repentance. Those are the two most important things our children can learn at an early age is confession, here's what I did, and repentance, I won't do it again. And then he says in this stinking book, usually that comes out in the form of, dad, can I have another chance? I'm like, spirit, I see you. Spirit, I hear you. So instead of saying, no, I already gave you your chance, I started giving him second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And what do we worry about as parents? We worry, oh, no, they're going to take advantage of us. Can't, can't keep doing that. They're going to take advantage of us. So we're going to box them in, and we're going to create all these rules, and we got to stick to our guns here, and we can't give them a second chance, because if we do, they're going to know that they can play it. Is that how God treats us? Is that how God treats us? You got one more shot, brother, and then lightning. You, sizzle. Better luck next time. Right? Is that how God treats us? No. And as parents, what is our goal? It is not to be the God of our children. It is to mirror Jesus to our children. Which means i got to give second chances. i got to give more mercy. So here's what I do. Dad, can, Dad, can I have a second? Dad, I swear I won't do it again. You've done it 17 times. I won't do it the 18th. Dad, can I please have a second chance? What did you do? Dad, I, I touched that when I shouldn't. Okay, what are you going to do next? I swear I'm not going to touch it. Now, you don't deserve a second chance. But I'm going to give you one because God has been merciful to us. God has been merciful to me, and he hasn't given me what I deserve, so I'm going to be merciful to you, and I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Guess what? We were just talking about this. He hasn't had a good Sunday. It's a good Sunday for him. He, he, he's, like, his behavior's changing. He's starting to obey more. He's needing less and less second chances. He's getting in less and less trouble. Why? Because mercy did what the rules couldn't. Mercy started doing in him what vicious, harsh, written down, on a chart, get a star, lose a star, no allowance, can't watch a show. Rules couldn't do what mercy is doing in my son. That is you and me, right? The rules of the law could not do for us what God in his mercy can do for us, right? That is the heartbeat of David's prayer, saying, God, I need your mercy. There's nothing I could follow, nothing I could adhere to, and nothing I could do in the law that would garner me the mercy that you freely give to me when I submit my heart to you. It's what David knows about God in prayer. He knows it is the place of God's mercy. Maybe you're in here today and you feel like you deserve some harsh punishment. The place where you feel that relieved is not in another addiction, is not in acting out from your own shame. The place where that is relieved is in prayer with a merciful God.
is coming before God and saying, I don't deserve this, but by your mercy, which you withhold from me what I deserve. That's what David knew. Now we go. Next one, three, God. This is what David knew about God in prayer. God is the place of protection through prayer. Over and over and over again, if you read the Psalms, you'll read of David praying to God for protection. God, rescue me from my enemies. God, crush my enemies. God, be my shelter and refuge. God, protect me from those who seek to take my life. God, I need your protection. Psalm 86, 2, he says, protect me for I am devoted to you. Save me for I serve and trust you, you are my God. In Psalm 18, 2, David declares, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Matthew 6, 13, this is, and don't lead us, this is Jesus modeling for us to pray, and don't lead us, and don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. John 17, 14 through 15, this is Jesus. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. David knew his place of protection was not in the king's palace. It was not surrounded by mighty warriors. It was not hiding in a secluded cave while, Paul, while Saul searched to kill him. David knew his place of protection was found in his covenant of prayer. In getting before God and saying, Lord, I want to be in your presence. Will you protect me? The greatest protection that you have is not something you can build here on earth. It's not the people that you surround yourself on. It's not how many deadbolts you have on your house. The greatest protection you can have is the presence of God in prayer. God can do things. God can do things in prayer, and he has done things in prayer, and he will do things in prayer that you will never know about that have saved your life. I am convinced of this. I pray, God, would you protect my wife as she drives the kids to school? Would you protect my wife and the kids as she picks them up from school? Would you protect us? Would you protect our family? Would you place your protection in every area of my life? And whether that is a car that was headed for me that was redirected or somebody who had ill intentions about me that was totally turned around or whatever that may be, here is what I believe. I believe more than I could have prepared, more than I could have done here in the natural, praying for protection in the supernatural has kept us covered. That's what David is saying. Remember, David's the baddest dude walking the face of the planet, and everybody knows it. He's got Goliath's sword to prove it. Want to see a trophy? Whoosh, right? This is how bad I am. And yet he is saying, the only thing that can protect me is you. The only thing that can protect me is you. You know what else that is? That's relief. That's relief for those of you that spend every waking moment trying to protect your children. One prayer can protect your kids better than a lifetime of your hovering over them. 
One prayer can protect your babies. One prayer can protect your family. One prayer, that's what David is saying. He's saying, Lord, if I know there is protection in anything, it is not in the armies that I've amassed, it is not in the kingdoms that I have built, and it's not in the palaces that I live in. Lord, I know your protection is found in prayer. And then he finishes here. I love how he wraps this up. As David has taken an entire psalm to teach us what he knows about God to be true through prayer, he finishes with this. God gives us joy and happiness in prayer. God gives us a joy and a happiness in prayer that we can't experience outside of his presence. Psalm 86, 4 through 5, he says, give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. Oh, Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask your help. Psalm 86, 12 through 13, later on, he says, with all my heart, I will praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. Psalm 32, 11 says, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Psalm 51, we referenced it earlier. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. David knew the place where his heart, the place where his life, the place where everything he experienced would find the greatest joy and satisfaction and happiness was in prayer. I would venture to say if you have very little joy in your life, you have very little prayer in your life. If you have very little joy, you have very little prayer. If you have very little happiness, you have very little prayer because David is saying what I know about the Lord to be true is that in prayer, he gives me happiness. It is the place where the heart belongs is in the presence of God. If prayer is about anything, it's about presence. If prayer's about anything, before it's about anything, it is about the presence of God and us entering. Do you notice that in David, in Psalm 86, he didn't mention one time, prayer is the place you go to get the things you want? No, he said prayer is a place of mercy. Prayer, prayer is a place of protection. Prayer is a place of joy. Prayer is a place where God meets us with his presence, and he does for us in the natural what can only be brought down by the supernatural, prayer is where our heart belongs. My family, we, uh, we love Mexico, don't we? Mexico's our jam. My daughter asks to go every week. Every week, she comes up to me and goes, Mexico, plain, swimming, ocean, dancing, mouse. That's another story that was part happened in Mexico, but she thinks she asks to go to Mexico literally every week. And we've gone a couple times with our kids and, and we love it. Mexico is our place. And you get there and it is just, it's crazy. I mean, they even down to like the smell of your pillows. They're like, hey, pick one of these six oils you want your pillows to smell like, right? So you pick one and your pillows smell like it. It's unlimited room service, unlimited food, unlimited open bar, virgin daiquiris only, right? It's like, it's just Mexico is our place, and it's more affordable than going to Florida. Like, we love going to Mexico, but something happens every time we're in Mexico. By the time we reach the last day or two, we look at each other, and we're like, hey, you ready to go home? Yeah, I'm ready to go home. 
Listen, my home ain't nothing like Mexico, okay? There is not beach with infinity pool, open bar, and a buffet of food at my house. But that's where my heart belongs. That's where my heart is most comfortable. That's where my heart finds sanctuary is sleeping in my own bed, right? You can go to the nicest hotel in the world, and if it's not your bed, it's just, it's not the same, right? There is a place where your heart belongs, where you know when it's settled in there, every ounce of joy, every ounce of peace, every ounce of comfort, every ounce of happiness that you could long for is found in that. That is prayer for our souls. You want more happiness? You need more prayer.